Hi, everyone. Happy New Year. I'm Dave Butler. I'm Stefan Tager. This is Revival Podcast. We're so happy that you're here. How was how was your uh, Christmas, Stefan? It's, it's been good. I've been doing some writing and work and hanging out with the fam. How about you? Sleeping. <laughs> <laughs> I seriously got hit by a nasty something. I don't know. I like sucker punched and I was out cold. We had like family in town. Everyone was doing all this fun stuff and I was in delirium i'm so sorry yeah that's no fun well it is what it is so (laughs) so if i sound a little stuffy or you know a little i'm gonna move away from you don't (laughs) (laughs) hopefully i don't hat cough into the microphone (laughs) or anything (laughs) halfway through this all right if you're just popping back in after taking a Christmas break from all podcasts and all spirituality and all. <laughs> I hope not. It's <laughs> whatever. You know that week in between, though, like that black hole in between Christmas and New Year's where it's like you don't even shower or you know you don't even know what day it's meant to be or Do you whatever. listen to more podcasts or less during that time? Less. Really? I like break. I just don't do anything. Interesting. I do nothing. Hmm. And so... And then it's like, oh, and right now I'm a little bit annoyed by people who are like, all right, let's go 2024, baby. And I'm like, chill out. Some of us are stumbling across the the border here. And so, yeah. So if you're just coming back, we are um, changing things up a little bit. Instead of following a, a conference by conference talk, we're kind of just taking topically. We're just talking about different gospel topics and having conversations here and hopefully a really uplifting and happy experience for everybody and something to think about through the week. And most importantly, hopefully something reviving to the soul to remind you the thrill of living a life of faith. So we're excited to be trying out this new format, not too different, but you know, in case you're just like, wait, what's the talk? That's what's right. kind of going on. <laughs> so we're sort of basing each episode off of a question. And uh, the question that at least right now, you know, we type the title in after we're done recording is going to be, why do people leave? Now, last week we did an episode where we promised a part two because last week we talked about, man, what do I do if someone I love and care about is walking away from faith or church, which actually I think is two different things. That's interesting. We didn't bring that up last week, but I was thinking about it. And we won't dive into that, I don't think. But what do I do? And and then it made us think as we were talking, wait, why? It's interesting to consider why do people walk away from church and or faith in the first place? And we thought today we would, I don't know, jump into that. Yeah. And our purpose is not just to list a whole bunch of possibilities on why people leave. And of course, we don't know why a certain individual might have stepped away from faith. Right. Because like, like, if someone were to see the title and think, why do people leave? It's like, the answer is, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's like, we got this in 25 minutes. Yeah. We'll, you know, we'll nail this, right? So there's a lot of nuance and there's a lot of complication to this to walk through and discuss. But the reason why we're talking about it is so that maybe we can be more empathetic, understand where people are coming from. Yeah. yeah. And then also perhaps provide a space for people if they're interested in coming back to faith, maybe what would be helpful in that process. And then also how we can prevent maybe other people from stepping away or create an environment where people would choose or be more likely to choose to not step away from faith in the first place. So that's kind of why we're 
uh, we're diagnosing before we prescribe. Right. And so with there's a million reasons. And I mean, I don't ever want to give ourselves permission to list and name and diagnose why people are <laughs> making the decisions that they're making. And and I think with people that you love and care about, you sit in conversation with them. Like your faith, your beliefs, your core values, I don't know, what percentage of your personality would you say that is? I mean, that's got, I right. mean, that's it's huge. That's so <laughs> big. That's so big. And and we're people who change and we learn new things and we experience new things. And so this is, there's no, this is not a trick formula. This is not like, uh, right. I love what you just said, a chance to remember that people are complicated and simple right. <laughs> at the same time and just a, a chance to empathize with people and allow people to have journeys and experiences and and yeah. yourself too. I think it's a good chance to look at yourself because you maybe you feel a little bit disenchanted at times with religion or church or or faith walk and you, and you want to self-diagnose, I guess, and yeah. say remember Alma says, "Can you sing that song of redeeming love? Can you still sing that song?" And remember in conference there was that I can't even remember who said it, but he was like, "Maybe you can only like hum it right now and you forgot the words or so he said something really really <laughs> yeah, clever yeah, yeah yeah about that but maybe there comes a time in your life when you think that where you're just like man I, i'm just not i'm not in it i'm not feeling it right now i don't everyone else seems to be so they're progressing and they're thrilled by it and i just feel like i'm walking through the hoops of this or, or whatever and there's been times i don't know when i've, I've felt like that and so I think maybe we can talk about some things that would help someone in that space too, where they're just like, yeah. I want this to be exciting. I want this to be something I have a desire for. The first thing to think of when we try to analyze this or think about this question, why do some people step away from faith? The first thing to do is to ask them yeah, and to say, why? What, what happened? And it is so quick when we feel so strongly. I mean, we spend our whole lives as we try in our own broken ways to spend our whole lives living a life of faith. And so when someone says, I stepped away for this reason and this reason, we want to jump in and say something. But that's just the time to be empathetic and with what you can, right? And then also, you know, leave space for you to be honest about how you feel, but also just really understand where someone's coming from. Ask them why. We've thought about this a lot. Yeah. In fact, I don't think I have thought about a question or any of the episodes, even under the old format, this has got to be the most or at least one of the most I've given the most thought about. And and because of the space I'm in, I talk to a lot of people who are trying to work through this question as well, right? And it's yeah. something that's really important. And so let's start off with, I mean, we were talking earlier, Dave, and you pointed to one that like people can kind of be quick to dismiss, yeah. but you, you nuanced it in a really powerful way. Well, I just think, the answer people are expecting someone to give is, oh, they somebody just wants to sin. Right. And that's why they that's why they walk away. And I think that's been used in a way that's probably hurtful. And it seems really simplistic. And it's an easy answer to go to. Or people may assume if they've walked away, they assume people think that about them, that I left you know, to go sin or something right, like that. Right. And I, on one end, I want to say, I didn't even want to bring that up or go there because 
it's so simplistic that I just want to dismiss it right away and say, that's not it. But I was thinking it is worth considering that there is an enemy to our souls. We should know there is an adverse force trying to seduce our hearts away from faith and belief. I believe that to be a reality. I believe that there is an evil being who is just hell-bent on, I'm allowed to say that, Stefan, because it's talking about the devil, so don't give me that eyeball. Um, He's like, this is now PG-13, look what you've done. Um, But he is trying to pull us away from a life of faith and a life of belief. Like that's been the case since since before the world was. And that is worth considering and putting on the table to know. We do make a lot of our own decisions and we have our interactions with people in the world and truth, but there is somebody trying to pull us away. And in the words of scripture, like in Genesis one of the first chapters, it talks about sin crouching at the door Mm. and with Cain. And that's an interesting way to describe that because that sounds like a predator. That's a predator Mm. word. And predators try to make themselves feel hidden and small and non-threatening. And they're crouching at the door. And as much as that, I don't want to come across what some people would say is, oh, that's just the cliche believers line that they throw at everybody, you know, that you just want to, sh- I'm not saying that, but I am saying we should recognize and realize that we do have an enemy out to destroy our faith. And that is going to play, that's going to play a role in every single person's life. Yeah, it, uh, the way that some I people, hope that came across right. It's fair because under the worldview that we have, under the story we embrace, the narrative we take up, evil is alive and well, and it's like and it's trying to destroy us. And so someone might say, "Yeah, but I don't, I don't accept your worldview." And then I would say, oh, "I understand that, but under our worldview, the reason why evil exists is because that there's hatred and suffering and sorrow in large part is because there are evil forces at play. Yeah. Now, the way that some people want to talk about this and sort of make an argument that there is sort of like cosmic evil that's real, they'll point to things like in the early part of the 20th century, uh, there was sort of a, th- a feel that through education and technology, we can fix the world. Hmm. If we just educate people enough and we just develop enough technology, then everything will be made right. But then World War I and World War II happened. And literally, we see like a mood kind of happen in some ways where people sort of become skeptical of meta narratives or explanations that say we can fix all things and everything can be set right. I've read some people who have made this kind of argument because the problem is not lack of education or we need more technology. The problem in the world is sin. Yeah. Like no matter what resources people have, humans have an incredible ability to kind of move towards things that are not healthy, that are not good, right. that are antisocial, that destroy, that are racist, that are lazy, you know, from serious sins, like I said, and the smaller ones, like that second one I said, right? And so whatever it looks like, that's kind of the tendency of human nature is to hurt, to yeah. destroy, right? 
And it seems to come from some, some, something outside of us, right? Yeah. And it seems to be a more than like an action and a mind issue. It really seems to be a heart issue. Right. What is capturing your heart? So that was just a diagnosis we gave there. But we want to provide maybe one possible prescription to that problem. We don't want to end on that negative note. Yeah. And so and maybe if, let's just go there. Let's not come back. Let's, okay. Should we? Should right, we it's just, up to you. If you wanted to point out another one really quick. I think you should. I think... The other one you said is worth mentioning really fast. Okay. And then we'll come back to that. Yeah. The other thing I was thinking about when I just, when last week we brought this up, and then it's just been on my mind since then, is that sometimes people feel betrayed. And I think that's helpful to know. And that also is a a heart issue because trust is a is a heart issue. And that becomes difficult if somebody feels like I expected this and this, and I didn't get it. And they feel betrayed by God. Sometimes by, they might say the church, they thought things were supposed to be a certain way. If they lived a life of faith, if I thought if I prayed every day, I thought if I was a faithful scripture studier, I thought if I went to church that my life would look in a certain way or my promises that I thought should have been fulfilled weren't. That's hard. You know, somebody put all of their hopes and their wishes into something. And if it didn't turn out, or if they see it turning out for other people, that can be really crippling to a person. And I think maybe a diagnosis to that would be one question to ask is, were your expectations, sometimes we set our own expectations or we we have decided this is what God's promises mean and this is the way they're going to be fulfilled. And it's not that he didn't fulfill his promise, he just didn't fulfill his promise in the way we expected. I think it's worth asking ourselves that question. But wait, where'd you get that idea to begin with? Uh, was it the correct idea? And then second, where did you, like the timing of it is also another question too. And anyways, but that can be really devastating to a person. Like tragedy and loss are really difficult on the heart. And they put you in a really vulnerable place. Like to be in a place of hurt and loss and disappointment, it's difficult for belief to take root in a place of tragedy or heartbreak or... Or whatever, and I think that's um, just something I thought was worth considering. In a sense, like as I've gotten older, in my own way, not nearly as fast as I should have learned that expectations and circumstances, and even in people and in history, usually not going to work very well. That my expectations and trust should be centered in God and His character, rather than my circumstances or right. and the humans around me. I mean, there's that beautiful and poignant scene in Revelation 4 where John's like, who can open the scroll? And he's like, which means who can fulfill the will of God on earth, right? He sees the throne room of God. He's like, who can open this scroll? And he's like, there's no one. There's no one. And then the lamb comes and opens it. And that's not to, you know, sweep over people's concerns that way, right? But as a person of faith, that's how I make sense of it. When my expectations are like, oh, I thought this would be like this, or I thought this would be like this. And that's just a way of 
life teaching me your faith is as strong as its object. Your yeah. faith is as strong as what you put it in. Right. Which I think is really powerful to just remember that, oh, a life of faith is a life of trust in a person and his heart in the person of God, the Father and the Son. And just uh, if I know that, it just makes it, yeah, I, amen. When people ask me, why do people step away from faith? There's a scripture that often comes to my mind. I'm really thankful for the Book of Mormon because of its insight on faith and belief. It has some really interesting discussions around it, yeah. some very unique ones compared to with what the Bible of Alma 32. The Book of Mormon actually gives the microphone to atheists and antichrists to make their arguments. Yeah, Mormon is not afraid of them having a chance to make their arguments. And so it has very interesting things to say about faith and belief and trust. And this is one of them. It's from 3 Nephi 2, verse 1. And I think this diagnosis is one of the most helpful ones, and it ties into what we've been talking about. And by the way, we're going to do a part three on this related to how do we know if we know, because I just think it's essential and important. But, and it came to pass that thus passed away the 90 and fifth year also. This is 3 Nephi 2, verse 1. And the people began to forget those signs and wonders which they heard and began to be less and less astonished at a sign or a wonder from heaven. Now watch the effect that less and less astonishment has on them, insomuch that they began to be hard in their hearts and blind in their minds and began to disbelieve all which they had heard and seen. Mm. And so there's kind of this tough truth. Some people want to say we're primarily thinking beings. There's arguments that philosophically saying like we are thinking beings. A lot of that comes from uh, Descartes and sort of the Enlightenment tradition. Oh, yeah, but, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> <laughs> but more more recently in philosophy, I think there's a better diagnosis, and it, it lines up better with what we find in Scripture, and that humans are primarily like loving beings. Before they're thinking beings, they're beings that are based on the heart. Yeah. And Pascal once said, I'm paraphrasing, you like this quote from Pascal? <laughs> <laughs> I thought Pascal was Rapunzel's lizard. <laughs> He says <laughs> he doesn't talk in the movies. <laughs> he says essentially, if I remember correctly, he says some, something like people are more drawn to what they find attractive rather than just what they find true. Mm. So there's a truth element, obviously, to the gospel, right? And we're going to talk about that in next episode. Like, how yeah. do you know if something is actually true? Lord of the Rings is beautiful and attractive. Star Wars is awesome, right? Yeah. On a nerdy kind of level. But it doesn't make it true. But what's first is that if people are not captured by something, not astonished by it, they won't even investigate its truthfulness. Often what happens, according to a faithful perspective, is why people start to step away from faith is that they are less and less captured by the beauty and wonder and majesty of the gospel. Yeah. If that's not there, it becomes harder and harder for people to consider its truthfulness and to maintain its truthfulness. Those are related more than we often want to admit and talk about. Yeah, that is kind of the diagnosis there we talked about at the beginning, where chapter two, verse two, it just the devil it says led away and deceived the hearts of the people. Thus did Satan get possession of the hearts of the people again, and it's like that's and it blinds them, it blinds their eyes, and led them to not to believe that the doctrine of Christ was foolish, and that's what he's trying to do is to capture a heart. So the diagnosis to that is. Let your heart fall for, for something beautiful and good and virtuous and lovely and something bigger than you. I was listening to something recently. 
<laughs> Thanks for clarifying your source there, Dave. <laughs> and they talked about, oh, I remember what it was, but I won't go into what it is. But he talked about our atmosphere, the fact that you can see the stars has inspired probably a lot of invention and a lot of progression. Like just the fact that we can see something bigger than us and be wowed and captured and awed by something outside of us has led people to explore and dream and and think. And I thought about how cool, I mean, what if we couldn't see the stars, you know? Yeah. What if you could, there's just something physical that you can see that captures you. And, and I think that is important in the life of faith. It's important that it doesn't become a checklist, but that it becomes a love story, that it becomes something that I'm captured by. And as much as there is a, an adversary who's trying to deceive hearts, there is a God in heaven who's trying to win hearts as well. And his story and his character and his attributes, they really are something that can win somebody over. And I think it would be important to emphasize that. When we talk about a life of faith, we talk about, we want to focus on the beauty of a life of faith and the beauty of believing in God. That's, I think, should be first and foremost. Yeah. And I think in the next episode, we can talk about some subtle ways that we can help people see the wonder and majesty of God, as well as when we talk about how to help people discover its truthfulness as well. But you're absolutely right. Ultimately, when we see uh, the Savior's heart break on our behalf, when we see him in Gethsemane and Golgotha say, this is how much you mean to me, it starts to melt our hearts. And we say, Maybe there's something to this. There's a preacher I love, and he was preaching once, and two people who were very much not living a life of faith came up to him afterwards and said, we don't believe a word you said, but we wish it was true. And that's the first step, is to say, maybe there's something wondrous and majestic mm. about this. Yeah. And that will, that will soften hearts to start to be open to the potential truthfulness of the restored gospel. Yeah. So it just feels like, I want to spend my time and attention and the words that I use and my own thoughts that I think that ones that will point me to something bigger and beautiful and wonderful. And there's no lack of that. And you would never run out of good things to say and to believe about who God is and what he does in this world, in our individual lives and and I just think we ought to know that, like be captured by his beauty and his and his goodness. Amen. That's reviving. Yes, sir. All right. See y'all next week. Mm -hmm.